In yesterday's video, we talked with Mr. Steven Van Meter about the German economy's, well, crash. I mean, I don't know what other words you would use to describe it. The goods economy in particular, especially trade, factory orders down almost 11% in just the month of March. Retail sales, uh, in imports and exports. Imports were down 6%, exports down 5%. Again, just in the month, the month of March suggesting that maybe the fallout from the bad economy and the banking sector are beginning to combine and we're starting to see some of the worst case scenario. And that's what the markets have been telling us, especially over recent weeks. As the banking crisis has continued to develop instead of going away, as many have been claiming, we've gotten bad steepening, the German curve as well as the U.S. Treasury curve and others. I'll give you an example, the French curve. French curve is about 3.11 at the three-month rate. That's These are current numbers. The two years down to 276, so we're inverted down to the five-year, which is at 263. But then like Germany and now the U.S. Treasury curve, it gets steeper from there. The seven-year is 267 in France, the 10-year 291, and then the 30-year all the way up to 341. Now, while U.S. banks, and we're focused on U.S. banks here for good reason, because those are the ones we're talking about, those are the ones that continue to fail, continue to be suspi suspicions, continue that maybe there are going to be more. We can't forget about Europe, because amidst Silicon Valley Bank and Signature and First Republic, there was also that one that was not a U.S. bank called Credit Suisse in the middle of Switzerland. And Switzerland, that's not Germany nor really the European Union, but it has close ties to Europe as well as the global economy. And when we look across the European banking sector, what we find is maybe even more uh, irregularities and anomalies, deposit flights in European banks compared to their American counterparts. And it goes back to September, October, and November. Yeah, all that stuff with the Swiss National Bank, the fireworks in the Eurodollar system back, back last September, it seems as if we really are living in the shadows or the aftermath from that first major eruption. But what is it and what does it mean? We've got H8 data, we've got European deposit and banking data. We've also got to talk about treasury bills a little bit here first. But first, I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you for joining me. If you're interested going into the Eurodollar system, money, behavior, curves, what it all means, where it all comes from, the history background behind it, Eurodollar University memberships are for you. If you're more interested in current events, what's going on now, how do we interpret and analyze what it's, what's happening, I've got research subscriptions, a daily briefing where I go over the most important macroeconomic data as, what, as well as a brief uh, mention about what's going on in the curves in the marketplace. If you want to go a little bit deeper than that, I have a deep dive analysis, which, as the name suggests, we dive deep into these topics, what's going on right now, what does it mean, and what will it mean for the future, at least as best as we can interpret. All of these things, memberships, research, subscriptions, eurodollar.university. Before we get to the H8 data on U.S. banks, and before we get into the deposit problems and bigger problems in European banks and why they're continuing to ongoing, what's going on with all the bad steepening in these global curves, because this is a global monetary phenomenon, let's start with treasury bills. Now, treasury bills have been, ever since Silicon Valley Bank failed, you can see it clearly on the chart, massive demand, especially for four-week and at times eight-week treasury bills, less demand for some of the longer-term bills, which are more sensitive to potential rate hikes and whatnot. Some had contended 
that the huge demand, especially the four-week bill, was about the debt ceiling. That for reasons that nobody would explain, massive amounts of demand for four-week because of Congress's inability to work with the Biden administration or something like that. But as I said in a recent video, that's not what happens during the debt ceiling. During the debt ceiling, money market funds, they sell bills that they don't want and occasionally shift into other maturities. So what we've seen over the last week or so is that yes, debt ceiling is now having an, now having an impact that we can clearly see. Money market funds are now avoiding the four and to some degree the eight week and are shifting their focus and demand into three month and even six month treasury bills. So the big demand for treasury bills, the outside demand for bills itself has nothing to do with the debt ceiling. It's the shifting and the selling that's a, a, a symptom of it instead. So last week's treasury bill auctions, the four week bill auction, the high came out to be 584. Remember the week before that, the high, the median average was ridiculously low. So now we've got a, five, a high of 584, a median of 550. Those are well above the RRP. But the low was 475, which meant that was that was 30 basis points less than the now current RRP of 505. So even in the four-week auction, you've got money market funds that are avoiding the four-week because maybe that's part of the debt ceiling. Maybe there's a breach there. Maybe there's a possibility of a missed payment. Money market funds won't take that risk, most of them. But at the low end, the 475, that's the dealers, the dealers that we're talking about that are short of collateral, the dealers that are that are going to make money off of reusing and repledging collateral. So maybe they want that for relending purposes. But dealers are bidding in these auctions at high prices to make sure they get it, even if money market funds, in fact, money market funds are doing them a favor by, by cheapening the prices of these treasury bills that dealers are only too happy to scoop up as much as they can. Same thing in the eight-week bill auction. This is again last week, last Thursday. The high was 540, the median 510. So that's creeping down toward RRP. And then the low of 5% itself, just above RRP. Today, we've got the three-month and six-month bill auction. So you can see the shift in attention and focus on those. The high at the three-month bill auction was just 5.14. That's just barely above RRP for a three-month bill. That's not much spread. The median was 5.05, so right in there. And the low was 490. So the low of the three-month auction, we've got now below the RRP. In fact, significantly below. The six-month auction, the high was just 489. So well below the RRP, well below the three-month. That's also the market starting to price in interest rate cuts too. So we've got high demand for bills plus the expectation for interest rate cuts. Suddenly the six month bill, the high at auction was 489. The median was 484 and the low was 474. So the entire auction well below RRP, which profound deep anxieties as well as some of the debt ceiling shifting priorities into these later bills. But it doesn't change the overall fact that the banking system is struggling, as is the global economy. And the situation in the global economy seems to be getting profoundly worse. I'm going to continue to use that word today. Friday, the Federal Reserve released its H8 bank data for the U.S. commercial banking system. This is for the final week in April, so not yet up to the First Republic. Uh, bank credit rebounded by about $49 billion, which is the same in the first week of April. So a little bit of a positive here, especially since... 
Lending went up by about $41 billion, including $30 billion lent by small banks, though importantly, loans from foreign banks operating in the United States, those didn't increase at all. Maybe there's more foreign stuff going on here than meets the eye. Securities went up $17 billion. That's part of bank credit. Cash went up, which is not part of bank credit, another $29 billion, which is not necessarily a good sign. Again, the lessons of Bear Stearns build up the cash cushion that continued the last week of April. And here's, a, here's one that's mm, don't quite know what to make of yet, but it's one of those you put in the back of your mind and think maybe we're going to come back to this. Other assets fell by $59.3 billion, which that can be a number of things because other assets, like all of these government statistics, it tends to be a catch-all at times. It could be fixed assets and pre- fixed assets and premises. It could be the value of goodwill. It could be um, interest rate receivables, things like that. But it also it also is the positive market value of certain derivatives. And if positive market value of certain derivatives are declining, there's your negative asset. That's that's something to keep in mind because 59 billion in any week is. I think that puts it as the fourth largest weekly decline in the entire series. Now, these don't always correspond with some of the worst events, but you do see large weekly declines in other assets going back to, say, the second week in March of this year, the March crisis, SVB in the aftermath. You also see it in 2008, in December 2008. So lots of stuff going on here that could be about number of things, including derivatives. So that's one you want to keep your eye on, as is the liability side of the HA data, the commercial banking system. Other liabilities, which that's derivative, potentially derivatives too, those fell by 30 billion. So you never know if, if dealers running match books are trying to low, just reduce their le- the level of, of activity on their balance sheet, de-risking. That's what I'm trying to get at here. That's potentially that. Borrowings didn't change all that much. Um, still incredibly defensive here. One reason why deposits fell by another 12 and a half billion. They're down almost 300 billion since the middle, since SVB and uh, residual assets, which are residual assets over liability. Those increased by 39 billion, which that's a statistical problem because assets and liabilities in these aggregate data don't always match up. So we're, yeah, we're getting the sense of potentially uh, de-risking still across the banking system, even if lending did tick up at small banks for the first time. Maybe that's a good sign. Maybe that's just natural fluctuation. We'll see here. But overall, banks are just kind of hanging in there in the United States. Their counterparts in Europe, however, now the statistics we have from the European Central Bank, unfortunately, only go through the end of month of March. Um, So... We have to. We don't really know ex- just yet what's going on in Europe in April uh, into May, but we can kind of tell. Here's the total deposits among monetary financial institutions, or MFIs, as they're categorized in Europe. Total deposits last August were 23.94 trillion. Then they rose a little bit into September of 24.14 trillion. Then October. October. Deposits were flat, so only up a tiny bit from September. Flat, usually, that's not a good thing. Although month-to-month fluctuations, not necessarily a big deal. But then November. November, 23.98 trillion. December, 23.09 trillion. Remember December? Lots of bad economic data all across Europe. 
Here we have a huge decline in deposits. January, we get a little bit of a rebound. 23.32 trillion. Maybe there was something to this January rebound. Uh, February, 23.33 trillion. So the rebound starts to die. And then March, back lower again, 23.12 trillion. So deposits were off sharply going back to when? October, September, November, December, right those months in last of last year where we saw all the curves all over the world start to really get defensive. It's really begin become pricing the worst case scenarios. And it was, of course, all the stuff that happened in September, guilt market, UK, that not, wasn't really, the Swiss National Bank dollar auctions. We see the financial system globally start to really show signs of something. What is that something? Well, we look at deposits held specifically by monetary financial institutions with other monetary financial institutions. So these are banks that have deposits with other banks, essentially correspondent bank balances and uh, interbank uh, holdings and whatnot. This is where most of the decline really shows up. 8.24 trillion in August goes up to 8.44 trillion in September. Then a modest increase, 8.49 trillion in October. That's Swiss National Bank stuff going on, and then. November, again, the downturn, 8.21 trillion, and then 7.42 trillion in December. Again, major declines across the global economy in December, including the United States. January, the rebound, 7.63 trillion, a small rebound into February, which suggests it's starting to peter out, 7.69, and then another renewed decline in March, coincident to all the banking difficulties that now the public has been made aware of. We're led to believe that this deposit flight is all about rate hikes when we have longer term rates that are beginning to fight against short term rate hikes in this very same window. Longer term yields, that's the inversion, started to go well below short term yields October, November and December which suggests that the marketplace, the wider marketplace, not just the deposit marketplace or the deposit part of the banking system, the wider marketplace is beginning to zero in on longer run, not just short term rate hikes, but longer run deflationary potential. It can't just be random coincidence. And let's, let's end on one final data point, And that's also from Europe, M3 growth. M3 contains a lot of different things beside deposit, but what do you see according to the ECB's M3 data. What you see is that it, it starts to decelerate very sharply when October, November, December, on into January and February. And the primary reason M3 has begun to decelerate in Europe is because of the private sector credit. Private sector credit, bank loans in particular across Europe has slowed down materially since last year, which is in many ways, that's, is that rate hikes? Is that the effect of rate hikes? Or is it the fallout and damage, the demand destruction from the destructive increases in prices up until September and October? Um, I think the markets are telling you that it's mostly about risk aversion from the fact that the global economy is heading into a very dangerous situation and that banks 
they do have to deal with the negative factor of re the redistribution that's going on in global banking, the global banking system all over the place that does have something to do with rate hikes. But the rate hikes don't tell you about why funds are not recirculating back to where they need to go. That The lack of circulation, as I've been saying since Silicon Valley Bank, is uh, the more important systemic problem. And the lack of systemic circulation, along with the drop in MFI deposits at MFI, suggests that there is indeed risk aversion going on here. It's not just demand, lower demand for loans in Europe because rates are essentially higher or a little bit higher, because this is a global phenomena, global monetary phenomena that is priced into these curves as leading into some of the worst case scenarios. And those worst case scenarios, as the bad steepening across the German, French, and U.S. Treasury curve continues to develop, suggests that high probability they're going to happen and an even higher probability they're going to happen sooner rather than later if we're not already within it. Getting back to what we said yesterday with Mr. Van Meter about what we just saw from Germany's economy in March. So profound, profound risk aversion, the lessons of Bear Stearns, we see them all over the banking data, profound and growing skepticism about where all of this is going to lead. I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers, MarketsInsiderPro.com subscribers, and of course, all the Eurodollar University members. Thank you very much. I'll see you again. Until next time, take care.